Today's episode of the Hashtag Cause of Scene podcast book club series, How to Be Anti-Racist, Chapter 10. Well, that's a lot to say. So um, today's episode, just bear with me. Um, I'm not sure. It's going to have kind of the same format, but there's some things I need to talk about that have been um, happening to me personally and publicly that I need to address. So I don't know if they will be interwoven in this conversation or I will do it after this conversation. Um, that's the plan. But if, if I find a, if I'm having this conversation and I have a, I see a, a, a place to have to stop and have this, then I will do that and then get back to it. Um, but we will get started. And so this chapter is called white. In this chapter, before I even start, um, gave me a lot of pause and a lot of opportunity to evaluate how I define racism, how I define, um, how I view whiteness. Um, and hmm, I, I'm, I'm good with what I came up with. So, <laughs> so, um, the definition, and we always start with that at the beginning of the chapter, anti-white racist, one who is classifying people of European descent as biologically, culturally, or behaviorally inferior, or conflating the entire race of white people with racist power. Okay, so um, I ticked off right here um, on page, we're on page um, 122, I just highlighted, racist ideas love believers, not thinkers. And I'm just going to say, do we not see that? Um, I've experienced that a lot this past week or the past few weeks, but definitely in this past week, the, the intensity of the, the believer and not the thinker has been shown, it has shown itself. On page 123, racist ideas suspend reality and retrofit history according to individuals' history. Again, let me repeat that because this is very important. Racist ideas suspend reality and retrofit history, including our individual histories. We see this time and time again when individuals refuse to evaluate reality, when they refuse to... Um, this is why that both sides of the story are equal and let's have this debate. And, you know, the libertarian idea is full of bullshit because I can't have a conversation with a person who fundamentally will suspend reality in the conversation. How do you have, how, how do you do that? How do you move forward when one or, or several parties in a conversation refuse. Now, I, there are times when I don't like what the reality is. I would rather ignore it. But for me, I have to figure out where it fits. Does it does it change what I'm thinking? Does it um 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 only uh, can it be used to or is it something that vali um, um, validates what I'm thinking? That kind of that's how my brain works. But I refuse to get into any discussions with individuals who are have the ability to suspend reality 
and re and retrofit history. There is that's not the place I'm going. That's that's not not a conversation I'm having. So on page one twenty two, I mean one twenty four, um, he talks about early in the year Florida purged um, fifty eight thousand alleged felons uh, from the voting rolls. Black people were only eleven percent of the registered voters, but comprised forty four percent of the purge list, and by and about twelve thousand of those um, were not convicted felons. So what did I write in the uh, margin here? I wrote, this is an example of how the systems of racism work together to institutionalize and compound harm. So this was about, um, again, this is why I like to stay on the, on the systems level. This is why I use the word, the term whiteness. This is where when I say white dudes in tech, I'm not specifically speaking to individual white dudes. I'm talking about the group of white dudes in tech who aren't doing shit, who are in the way and not just in the way, but many are actively um, working against inclusion. This is what I mean when I say this. If I want to choose or talk about individual people, trust me, I have no problem with doing that. But when I'm talking about anti-racism, racism, when I'm talking about these, I'm talking about the systems that white people um, benefit from. Um, then further down there it says blacks were 10 times more likely than whites to have their ballots rejected. Um, and so that's, this is a conversation about the election that, um, the second Bush won over, um, Gore. And in the state of Georgia, we just experienced that with, um, Kemp and um, Stacey Abrams. We just had that same experience in 2018 where the Secretary of State who was also running for governor who has also been spending the last, I don't know how many years, purging the roles of African-American and um, brown and black people in the state was the one who got to choose what the rules were. Um, and so it, it's not, that was in 2000. It wasn't, I mean, it's what, 18 years later and it's still happening. Um, they amassed the courage at the bottom of the page. They amassed the courage that I did not have, that all anti-racists must have. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the strength to do what is right in the face of it, as an anonymous philosopher tells us. So your first assignment for this chapter is from this page, page 124. If your goal is to live and function as an anti-racist, do you honestly have the courage to do what is right in the face of fear? Again, let me repeat that. And this is going to be tied into the conversation I'm going to have later. If your goal is to live and function as an anti-racist, do you honestly have the courage to do what is right in the face of fear? So now we're going to go to page 125. Racist ideas often lead to this silly psychological inversion where we blame the victimized race for their own victimization. So in the margin I wrote, this is why we're no longer question the motives of the margin of marginalized folks um because and i, I I've, I've jokingly used this as jokingly as a um as an example um and this is for amorosa this is for candace owens this is for diamond and silk or whatever their name are this is for um i the more i know about 
and learn about white supremacy and, and evaluate it and research it and, and pull back the onion on it. And I talk about blacks having their own internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness that they have to deal with. I cannot condemn um, these individuals for the choices they make. Now, that does not mean that I want to be in the space with them because they would being in a space with them would in, ensure that I'm not safe. So, no, I don't have to be in the space with them. I don't have to agree with them. And yet, with how these systems of, of oppression are, I will not question them. They can go ahead and do whatever they need to do because uh, it doesn't impact what I'm doing. Because the bottom line is they're black and at some point they're going to have the same experiences I, uh, we are. And Amarosa saw that um, when she left, um, how she really realized um, that she they did not see her as their equal. And it's also telling that a black woman could go in the situation room, which is supposed to be um, electronic free. And not only be able to go in and record audio, and, but you know, and video, um, it, it's telling how they underestimated her. It's telling how they did not see her as a threat. And so, um, you know, that's the shit they got to deal with. And I'm gonna let them deal with it. But I will not. I will no longer judge. Um, and so I have people sending me stuff about black people, and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's some shit they got to deal with. I got to deal with my own shit because uh, this is some. This is some real stuff internalized um i mean this is some deep deep self-evaluation that I'm, I'm 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 undertaking just to you know stand up straight just to keep this work going just to and 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 and, and based on this chapter we're going to talk about just just to not hate white people and i don't um and i never have but i can see how people do um and i can't question that so um, and this is why I, I talk about whiteness as a construct and as a part of a system. So I go to page 127 where I talk, uh, where it says white people showed me they did not actually care about national unity or democracy, only unity and democracy for white people. And then my note is see same that we see today. Then um, he talks. So I'm going to read this a little bit. So on page 128, because this is the part that also had questions in the beginning about his statement about black people can be racist. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit and, and take you through how I, how my process and what I came to, the conclusions I came to for this, for myself. Okay. So I said, I totally reject. So he was following um, Elijah Muhammad, who or was studying Elijah Muhammad, because he was dead at that point, um, who was the founder of the Nation of Islam. And so um, midway in chapter one, I mean, paragraph one, uh, 128, um, what I'm about to read is um, a quote from Malcolm X from 1964 after he spent um, his his time following Elijah Muhammad, who was who was um, the founder of Nation of Islam. I totally reject Elijah Muhammad's racist philosophy which he has labeled Islam only to fool and misuse gullible people as he fooled and misused me, he wrote. But I blame my, only myself and no one else for the fool that I was and the harm that my ev evangelic foolishness in his, on, in his behalf has done to others. 
And then he said, uh, then he talks about months before being assassinated, Malcolm X faced a fact many admirers of Malcolm X still refuse to face. Black people can be racist towards white people. The Nation of Islam, um, white devil idea is a classic example. Whenever someone classifies people of European descent as biologically, culturally, and behaviorally inferior, whenever someone says that there is something wrong with white people as a group, someone is articulating a racist idea. Okay. This is how I make the distinction. Um, and I'm going to go back to where at the beginning of chapter one, on page 13, when he has a definition, he has a definition of what racist is and what anti-racist is. So a racist, one who is supporting the racist policies through their actions and inactions or expressing a racist idea, anti-racist, one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions and ex- or expressing an anti-racist idea. And then on page 17, he talks about to be a racist is to constantly redefine racist in a way that exonerates one's changing policies, ideas, and personhood. What is racism? Racism is a mor- Marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produce and normalize racial inequalities. Okay, I'm going to pause here because I really want to break this down because there's a distinction that I am getting from this that he's not making. Um, And this is where I love about social sciences and theories and, you know, academic theories because they can align and and still be different. This is why the, the, the value of inclusion and diversity, because you get people from different perspectives saying different things. How Dr. Kendi, as I interpret his reading, is any individual who, um, so one who is ex- supporting a racist policy through their actions and inaction or expressing racist ideas. So for him to be anti-racist is to see nothing about the races that are, that is different. So let me let me go out uh, out a little bit on this. If for me to be anti-racist and if I'm black, if I have any thoughts that say that there's something inherently wrong with whiteness or white people, then that is a racist idea. I and other and people who've been doing this research in social scientists so, social science science ascribe to a different turn on this. So for me, and this is why it's about to me about prioritizing the most vulnerable, because what he speaks of there, it comes, I'm trying to, because I don't, I'm just going to tell you my interpretation is about equality. It's not about equality for me. It's about equity. And and it kind of goes back to his statement before where he says, racist ideas often lead to this silly psychological inversion where we blame the victimized race for their own victimization. And that is where, for me, that statement causes harm. The statement of black people can be racist towards white people because we are victims of racist white policies. How we choose to assert, how we choose to empower ourselves how we choose to address these issues on an individual level 
have absolutely nothing to do with or impact how these racist policies impact our lives as a system on our individual lives or in our community lives. So it's not a balance. It's not an equal. It is it's not an equation. Uh, one, uh, you know, the this is not a strict equality. And this is where you get the racists who will take these words and use them against those of us who are working to be anti-racist. Um, because, yes, a black person can have a, a spouse racist ideas. They cannot be racist because to have to be racist is to not only have racist ideas but access to and have the ability to, to leverage racist policies and black people collectively individually cannot do that so that's how I, because I really thought about this, um, and I'm glad we're having this this chapter, um, this read, because this is the thing that kind of um, I would don't want us to lose because it's very important. So basically, he just went on his own journey of trying to just understand why whiteness, um, why is it so destructive? Why does it hoard wealth? Why is it the way it is? And many black people in their struggle to understand what the fuck is going on have been there. I've been there. Um, it wasn't until I understood the systematic part of this where I could say, oh, this is not about individual white people because they themselves are, and he goes into this in, this in the chapter as well, they themselves are victims of um, white supremacy. So at the bottom of 129, racist power hoarding wealth and resources has the most to lose in the building of an equitable society. As we've learned, racial, racist power produces racist policies out of self-interest and then produces racist ideas to justify those policies. But racist ideas also suppress the resistance to policies that are detrimental to white people by convincing average white people that inequality is rooted in personal failure. It is unrelated to policies. Racist power manipulates ordinary white people into resisting equalizing policies by drilling them on what they are losing with equalizing policies and how those equalizing policies are anti-white. And that speaks a lot to what we're seeing every single day. And I'm just going to say this in the tech space. This is what we're seeing in the tech space, where when we're talking about inclusion and diversity, white folks see it as a zero-sum game. And when I talk about let's prioritize the most vulnerable, because if the most vulnerable feel safe, that means we have addressed as much as we can in an system that oppresses us all to remove as much as that as possible or to mitigate for it, to plan for it, whatever you we have to do so that if the most vulnerable feel safe, then the rest of us by default feel safe. And that will alleviate a lot of anxiety. We know where we stand in our jobs, all these other kind of things. And so this is why the, the book, Diana Whiteness, I really want to get Jonathan Meltz, Mertz, I think that's his last name, M-E-R-T-Z, I think that's his last name, um, on the show to really talk about how white folks in the U.S. have damned themselves to a reality 
based on racist principles, racist ideas that make them lose. Whereas if they align with those who have similar issues, but from different quote unquote races, they would have a better, they would prevail. They would have a better um, experience. So uh, on page 130, claims of anti-white racism in response to anti-racism are as old as civil rights. When Congress passed the first Civil Rights Act of 1866, it made black people, citizens of the United States, stipulated their civil rights and stated that state law could not deprive a person of any of these rights on the basis of race. Well, that was the reason we had Jim Crow and all that other stuff. So so your question number two, homework number two from this page is, I want you to do some research because on the 13th of November, there was a case put before the Supreme Court and it was Comcast versus National Association of African-American Owned Media. And I want you to write about your thoughts about this. So uh, I'm not going to give you any background because this is your work to do. So your homework is to do some research on this recent Supreme Court case, and it was this week. It was um, Wednesday, November 31st. I mean, excuse me, November 13th. Um, Do some research on the Supreme Court case of um, Comcast versus the National Association of African American Owned Media. And I want you to write down your thoughts. All right. White races do not want to define racial hierarchy of policies that yield racial inequalities as races. To do so would be to define their ideas and policies as races. Instead, they define policies not rigged for white people as races, ideas not centering white lives as races. So your third question of this week is, List 10 ways in which you commonly, regularly center whiteness, your interests, and your comfort. And I need you to be honest about this. No one has to see this yourself. But I want you to list 10 ways in which you commonly or regularly center whiteness, your interests, or your comfort. All right. On page 131, ordinary white races function as soldiers of racist power. Anti-white races... Ideas are usually a reflex reaction to white racism. Anti-white racism is indeed the hate that the hate produced attractive to the victims of white racism. And yet racist power thrives on anti-white racist ideas. More hatred only makes their power greater. So I wrote in the margins, this is why I speak in generalities. And I talked about that already. This is why um, we're going to talk about blackness. We're going to talk about whiteness. And this is why I say white folks, white guys, white women. I'm not speaking in um, specific people. Um, If I'm speaking in specific people, I will say that. Um, And I will say that if these specific people are uh, pulling the levers of white supremacy in certain ways. Um, Going after white people instead of racist power prolongs the policies of harming black life. In the end, anti-white racist idea in taking some or all of the focus off white racist power becomes anti-black. In the end, hating white people becomes hating black people. And I so agree with that. And this is why I don't hate white people. Now, I don't trust you. Um, that's something totally different. And, I, and, I, and for some people, people like to conflate those same things. I don't hate white people. 
I don't have an opinion about many white people like you don't have an opinion about many black folks. But what I do know is based on my experiences, I will no longer default trust you without consistent demonstrated anti-racist behavior. I don't owe you trust. Trust is something that has been has to be earned. And that is the problem. White supremacy says that whiteness is trusted by default. It is good by default. It is either the hero or the victim. It's never the villain. Well, I'm here to say that white supremacy is always the villain. And because I am a victim or a target of this villainry, I do not trust white people by default. That does not mean I'm going to be nasty to you. I just may not say shit to you. Um, and I have every right not to speak to you. I don't have to speak to people I don't want to speak to. Um, I doesn't mean that I'm going to go out of my way to ruin your life, as people have said. No, I'm going to bring up some shit. And if um, you have to deal with the consequences of your actions, then that's what it is. It's not about ruining your life. We've always, I've, I'm going to speak for me, I've always had to deal with the consequences of my actions uh, professionally. And it's the first time that white folks have ever had to do that. And so it's jarring. I get it. But I don't give a fuck because we've always dealt with not only the consequences of our actions, but the consequences of made-up actions, things that we haven't done, the consequences of actions of other peoples who have, who have blamed us for their actions, all kinds of stuff. So no, I just don't have any empathy for that. I can't put myself in your shoes and I've refused to put myself in my, your shoes on that. I have no sympathy for it. I understand it, but and t- I'm going to put a period on that. I understand it. Yes. I'm not going to make myself a target. I'm not going to make myself uncomfortable. I'm not going to make myself a victim. I'm not going to lose out for me just so because you feel the way you do. It's not happening anymore. And then there's a, um, on same page 131, anti-racist is a cold word for anti-white. This is how they're um, framing it. White supremacists are the ones supporting policies that benefit racist power against the interests of the majority of white people. I need y'all to know this. I don't have no fucking power. We don't have the power to do this. White supremacist is a code for anti-white and white supremacy is nothing short of the ongoing program of genocide against the white race. And then um, I'm going to end this part of the conversation with these two um, thoughts. It says on page 134, why do we spend, he was talking to his friend Clarence, why do you spend so much time trying to figure out white people? And then because figuring them out is the key, black people need to figure out what they're dealing with. And I wrote down at the end, this is why I prioritize the most vulnerable. So that is the lesson from that. And let me get into this conversation that I really want to have. And it's because of what has been happening, this um, long entrenched um, issue that started with Amy's comment, which led to John jumping in, being an asshole, which led to Chuck, um, who... Um, decided he was going to defend his friend. Um, but in defense of his friend, Chuck decided to make call me out in, um, individually and, um, and make me a target. I, he creates a video that doesn't go as well as he thinks it should. So now he wants to play the game of, oh, let's have a meeting. I'm not having to sit down with anybody. Um, him or anyone else because I create enough content that tells you exactly where I feel on these issues. I don't need to justify them. I don't need to debate them. I'm not doing that with anybody. I don't care if it was anybody who came because there were like 
two other people came to me. I'm not doing that. I don't owe anyone any explanation. I started Hashtag Cows of Scene um, March of 2018 because of my desire, my needs, the things that I needed to, to and, and, and the, the challenges I saw within the community. Um, the fact that people follow me, believe in me, whatever, that's kudos, that's gravy, but it's not why I did this. I needed a platform for me to say and do how I wanted to say and do what I needed to say and do. So I don't have to explain myself to anybody. And that's also a problem with white supremacy. It is pissed off that I refuse to debate it, that I refuse to acknowledge it beyond. Why would I debate an individual about a system? That makes absolutely no sense to me. You are not the system. You are an individual that that benefits from it unfairly, but I'm not going to debate you about a system. No, no. It's particularly if you're not a person who's on the, de- well, I'm not the debate anyway, but I'm not going to even have a discussion with you. Even it's, it's particularly if you're not a person who understands that you benefit from the system. So this past week, there was an article, quote unquote article that came out from an individual who wanted me to participate. But if he was genuine in wanting me to to provide some quotes for his article, when he posted this piece of shit, he would have get, send me the, sent me the link. I only came across this link when I was going through my timeline and other people who, tr- who I trust timeline who are engaging with individuals. And I just started blocking people. And it was one of the people that I blocked. I saw this article. So I'm looking at the article and it has all this stuff. It has, first of all, this issue with Chuck and this conference had nothing to do with a a, a mega hat. It had everything to do with um, the fact that there are some people in the community who were going to attend this event who felt unsafe or questioned their safety based on this. They weren't being heard as I thought they were. They were being dismissed, and I amplified it. Um, And actually, Linux Foundation didn't even respond to my tweet. They responded to somebody else's tweet who, quote, tweeted my tweet. So, um, but here we are that I'm the target of all this, and I caused all this this individual, this Chuck person, to be disinvited. And and I'm going to pause here and say many of, of you have not understood that we are moving into a more inclusive and diverse agenda in tech because we have to, and you're still holding on to the status quo, many more of you will be disinvited. And I have no problems with that at all. None. I have absolutely no problems with that. Start your own conferences. I could care less. I will not be attending, but things that are, but conferences that are saying they're welcome for everybody, then yes, we have a problem if they don't, um, so they made a decision based on whatever they felt was why he needed to be disinvited. But that's not the narrative we're, that we're, 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 that's out there now. So now there's a narrative. Oh, and it's also, again, let me, let me also highlight, this is why I say one to two degrees away from you, these individuals you call friends can cause me harm. Because based on Uncle Bob's tweeting, and he's really good because he has been, he's, he knows that he's been in this space long enough to know how to play this game where he has not targeted me or out at me specifically, but he's given enough information for people to know it's me. And he knows that how he's done, what he's done does not violate any code of conduct. So it's the same thing I say about Trump. Trump can get on Twitter and say what the hell he wants to and and only now being held accountable. And we'll see what that hap- what happens with that. And you have followers who do the same thing 
and go out in real life and do stupid shit and then lose their jobs or whatever. And they're crying because you don't recognize that although you are white, although you may be a white man, man, you do not have the same level of privilege as the, as the United States president would have. So you have individuals who take Bob, Uncle Bob's lead and they um, target me. There's somebody who's tried to hack my Twitter account over 11 times. Um, they have um, so this video, this this article that he wrote again is not even about this incident that I did not start. It's like it's so funny because it's I like it's it's, it's like I, I started all this. I am just such a villain. I started all of this stuff. None of these incidents I started. Not even the um, Amy incident. Someone brought it to my attention and I saw it, um, and and I amplified it. And so. You have this person who creates this piece of this document that has tweets from months ago, all this other kind of stuff. And I am I do not backtrack on anything I've said. If I um, have erred, I will tell you I've erred. I would create a video. I would create podcasts. I would do everything. I would say, you know what? I would, that I don't have that belief anymore. But but what I said in those things. I still stand. I still I stand by them, and so they want to talk about the fact that I created a video that says, "All uh, white men in tech ain't shit." I stand by white men in tech ain't shit because if they had less listened to the audio of it instead of being triggered triggered by the title, and that's why I created it because I want to prove I wanted to prove that I can talk about anything. I can talk about white women all day long, and none of these assholes say shit. The first time I say something about white men, everybody's up in arms, and this is also people of color. There have been a lot of South Asian men who have targeted me because of this, because they're trying to protect their, you know, their, their, you know, model minority and they're trying to protect their proximity to whiteness and what all the privileges that come with that. But the video that I created that from the title of White Men in Tech Ain't Shit was, dudes, y'all have all the privilege and leverage in the world and you still won't do anything. You are so afraid to pull the, to do anything. And every time I talk to a white dude who says, oh my God, I was afraid, but I did this thing and I had no consequences. It's, that's the, tr- you have little, if any, consequences for anything. But yet you still expect people like myself and others who are doing this work, the people who are most vulnerable in this community, to to, to do not only, again, when we prioritize the most vulnerable, everybody benefits. So it's the same thing of saying um, in the election, listen to white women, vote like, I mean, listen to black women, vote like black women. Yes, we do that because we know if we don't protect our own interests, we are going to be the ones impacted. It's a byproduct that everything we fucking do is a is a benefit to you. You benefit from it. So if you benefit from all of our hard work, the least you can do, the very fucking least you can do is lend your privilege to us in some way. I've had so many white guys reach out to me in DMs. Hey, Kim, I want to help you, blah, blah, blah. And there's no follow-up. I tell them what I need and there's no follow-up. Because, oh my God, the work is too hard. I'm, I'm changing jobs. It's always about their situations. As if the people who are doing this work don't have similar situations, but are at a, wor- are, are, are a bigger disadvantage of getting the work done. So yes, I'm going to continue to say, until I see masses of white dudes standing up, protecting the people who are doing um, inclusion and diversity, challenging the status quo for the things that they benefit from. And I get it. It's against your self-interest. But again, if we prioritize the most vulnerable, your self-interest will be taken care of. So you could see this as a, as a, as a, as a job and self-interest by you doing this work, it will benefit you greatly.
So again, I have been the target of these people. I've gotten vile emails, all of these things. And it's funny that I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm, but, I'm, but, I'm the, but I'm the villain. And so what I want to leave you with is, and so why everyone is, ups, you know, not everyone, people who are upset when I share the stuff that's happening to me, what you don't know is my team has been preparing for this for over a year. Because when I recognize, when we recognize that I was going to go down this path of challenging white supremacy, of challenging oppression, of challenging the harm that's being done in tech, we knew, I knew from my lived experience that I would be a target. So we put things in place a year ago to help protect my identity from help getting, um, from me getting doxxed, all kinds of stuff. Now, there is no foolproof plan. And see, this is another thing that I, I, I think. You, you, you want to say, oh, that's smart of you. It's not fucking smart of me. It is by design. This is why I don't do CFPs anymore. This is why if I'm speaking at a conference, you need to have provisions for my physical safety. Because you don't think about this. You think, oh, last minute, oh, okay. No, this is something I've been put, I've put into place a year ago. So I want you to stop, I want you to, I want to end with this. The stuff that you've been seeing over the past month, I prepared for a year ago. If you're not willing to put that kind of effort into this work, again, I say, I have absolutely no use for you. If you're not willing to make yourself uncomfortable so that I can be not just comfortable, fuck comfort, I want to be safe, then I have absolutely no use for you. So in the hashtag cause a scene community, there is no such thing as reverse racism. Let me say that again. In the hashtag cause a scene community and anybody who advocates for our um, the rights, the prioritization of the most vulnerable in our community, we do not espouse uh, reverse racism. And this is the danger I see in um, what he wrote, is that people will be able to use this to say, hey, a scholar, black man said this, and they'll be able to, without context, about without what I've just broken down to you, and make an argument, make a case, or try to make a case for reverse racism. So, have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcallthescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.